Oh, thank you, Tori. Good morning, church. Um, before I get going, I'm just going to do a little bit of promo. Um, so last night, uh, my mother and I, we put on a dinner uh, for some friends and family uh, to raise money for the Turkey Syria earthquake response and the famine going on in East Africa at the moment. And <laughs> classic me and mum, we <laughs> overdid it on the food front quite exponentially. And so uh, we have um, put into 16 little portable lunch containers um, some leftovers. So each container has couscous, meat, salad, and tzatziki sauce from the Dimitri Suvalaki place in Riverside that I got donated. So these things are yummy. And uh, we are a couple, at the moment, we're a couple hundred dollars short of our goal. So if you are looking for some lunch and you're not a toasty fan, because we don't want to undermine the toasties, to provide another lunch alternative um, for five bucks, you can have some leftover suvalaki platter and they'll be on sale in the cafe afterwards. Cool. Um, launching now into... The Word, if you have your Bibles with you, either in book form or phone form, um, can I invite you to join me in Matthew 25, verse 14, um, otherwise known as the parable of the talents. And this parable reads, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. 
then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten. For to everyone who has will, more be given, and he will be, have an abundance. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Now, for some of you, you may be experiencing a bit of deja vu right about now. And that's because in August 2021, I stood on this very stage. And I read to you that very parable. I was wearing this exact same top. I was wearing these exact same shoes. I would be wearing the exact same pants, but I had an unfortunate accident with the iron and I burned a hole through them, Um, which was a real tragedy at the time because I really loved those pants. But as a creature of habit, I replaced my wide leg blue pants with some more wide leg blue pants. And so I am in a very similar outfit. And in 2021, When we went through this parable together, we explored the truth that this this parable speaks to in that everything we have in terms of our material and financial possessions, our time, our spiritual gifts, and our passions and skills, everything that we have is from God and for God. And we must not fall into the trap of believing that once we tithe, the rest of what we have is ours. No, 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 no. This parable sees the master giving the servants their talents at the beginning. And then when he returns, he asks for them back with an accountability report of how they've been spent in the meantime. James 1 verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The truth that everything we have is from God and that we are accountable to him for how we steward what we have was a confronting thought, for me at least. And some of you may remember that we then got a piece of paper and we spent some time thinking about what we each had and how we were currently using them for God and kingdom building purpose. Does anyone remember this? Thank goodness. That was 18 months ago. 18 months ago. And as we head into a season as a church where we are honing in on the first focus area of the church's vision, which is that 2023 would be a year where we use our God-given gifts more and more, I am standing in front of you today in the same outfit, reading the same scripture with the intention of simply asking, how are you going? In the last 18 months, how has God been asking you to use what he has given you for him? 
How have you been using what is in your hand and what you wrote on your paper for kingdom building purpose? Boldly, and a bit cheekily on my behalf, if God was to arrive back today and ask you for your accountability report of what you had done with what he gave you, not just in the last 18 months, but in your lifetime, what would you say? I still find that quite confronting. But one day I and you will graduate and give an account of what it is that we did for God and with what he gave us. Do you know one of the things that strikes me about this passage is its location? This parable is at the very end of Matthew 25. In Matthew 26, the plot to kill Jesus is schemed and Jesus and his disciples have Passover. In Matthew 27, uh, he is crucified. And in Matthew 28, he resurrects, but then he leaves and ascends. And this parable, therefore, is literally one of the final teachings that Jesus gives to his followers while here on earth. And I fully believe that Jesus knew that this was going to be the case. In this parable, Jesus is alluding to his departure and what his followers then and now are called to do going forward. The parable starts with the line, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Jesus is setting the scene. He is the man who is about to go on the journey. He knows that Passover and his necessary death are only days away and that his time on earth is limited. He, like the property owner, is about to leave. So the property owner calls his servants, just like Jesus calls us. The property owner entrusts his servants with his property, just as Jesus is about to entrust with us the mission of continuing to advance his kingdom here on earth. Jesus, at this point, has spent three years in ministry, proclaiming the good news, healing the sick, loving the outcasts, transforming lives, and ultimately bringing the kingdom of heaven down here to earth. But he is about to leave. And as he does, he entrusts the disciples of the time and us today to continue this work of building God's kingdom and bringing heaven to earth. The word entrust means to give someone something in trust, and so to deposit with another. It means to assign the responsibility for doing something to someone else. Jesus is quite literally assigning us the responsibility of continuing his work here on earth. And in just a little while, there's that famous scripture where he tells his servants, then and us now, to therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Mull that with me for a second. We are entrusted to continue to advance God's kingdom here on earth. But here's the thing. 
the property owner in the parable, he doesn't just call his servants and trust them with the property and then leave. Before he leaves, the property owner gives talents to each of the servants he is entrusting his property to. He equips them, as does Jesus with us. He calls us. He entrusts us with the mission of continuing the advancement of his kingdom here on earth. And he equips us. He doesn't just give us life and life in abundance through the cross and the Holy Spirit as a helper. But he gives each of us gifts and talents to continue his work while he is gone. We have each been called by our master. We have each been entrusted with advancing his kingdom across the world. And we have each been given the gifts and the talents to do so. But there's another character who doesn't want this. (laughs) The devil is cunning and crafty and shrewd, as described in the Bible. And afraid of the sound of God's people mobilizing to keep advancing the kingdom that is already victorious. While Jesus is away, and while we have been trusted with the work of the kingdom, the devil will do what he can to make sure that we do little with and for this thing that we have been entrusted with. And so, he discourages us. He sows untruth and lies in our hearts and our minds, lies about God and lies about ourselves. And he hastens to help us bury our gifts and talents like the third man in this parable. He wants us to disregard any promptings we have to express interest in the ministry needs that are highlighted out there in the foyer. He will absolutely tell us that we have nothing to offer. He will absolutely remind us of times where we have failed. He will discourage those of us who are serving in ministry with thoughts of, why am I doing this? He will make you and your talents feel insignificant and that they are or they will make absolutely no difference. He may even try to convince you that the good gifts that you have are yours to do with as you please. But we, as the entrusted servants of Jesus, should ground ourselves in the truth that we are called to advance God's kingdom for the generations now and the ones to come. We are called to make disciples, to reach nations, to love one another. And one of the ways that we do this is to use the gifts and the talents and the opportunities that we have for him even if we don't always see the tangible results here on earth. He has called and trusted us with the mission of building his kingdom into the future. N.T. Wright summed it up very well when he said, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. Using your gifts and talents 
sows into and lasts into God's future, and it builds his kingdom. Now, I know that when you all saw that I was preaching today, some of you likely thought, ooh, I wonder what props she will use. Now, I hate to be predictable. And so I make the public commitment today that there will not always be props. But in the case of today, I did get a prompting to bring some. So there you go. So I shall now set those up. Bear with. I know you're all waiting with bated breath. I'm just keeping you all alert and waking those of you who have dozed off already um, awake. So, don't worry, I'm not going to ride a skateboard and play the guitar. Uh, that's not in my gift and talent mix. <laughs> but with the rest of my time today, I want to share two stories which illustrate gifts and talents of all kinds being used by servants to build God's kingdom into the future. These two stories are both true to the best of my researching capacity, and both see servants of the Lord with a wide variety of gifts and talents, giving what it was that they had, to unknowingly, collectively have an impact that no one would expect and that not necessarily everyone could see at the time. And as I share these stories, you will hear how God saw and was working years in advance, prompting his servants at different times to do different things, that would continue to build on the foundations before them. One of the stories involves a guitar, and one of them includes a skateboard. As individual possessions, you may wonder what on earth these things could do to build God's kingdom, last into God's future, and make disciples. But you're about to find out. In fact, both of these items have influenced our service today. Intrigued? Good. We'll start with the guitar. One of the little things I sometimes quite enjoy is reading the comments on videos of worship songs on YouTube. Um, I just find it so encouraging to see Christians from all over the world publicly commenting on how the worship has encouraged them in their own journeys with God. It is also really encouraging, I think, uh, to, to read comments from people who say that they're not followers of Jesus, but that they ended up on these particular videos and liked them. Take Brooke Liggett Wood's YouTube video 
which shows her in the Hillsong band performing What a Beautiful Name It Is. This video was uploaded six years ago. The song itself won a Grammy and really kind of became an anthem for God's church globally at the time of its release and still is today. 477 million times. Well, this video has been watched 477 million times in six years. 477 million times. People watching and learning and singing the lyrics about the powerful name of Jesus by watching this video alone. This does not factor in all of the people who have sung it in churches or connect groups or listen to it on Spotify just through the YouTube platform. And we ourselves will be singing it at the conclusion of today's service. There are over 100,000 comments on this video on YouTube, Christians pouring out their hearts of praise for what God has done in their lives, people saying that they are moved and that they cry every time they watch it or hear it, um, people saying that it has provided encouragement to them in seasons of trial, comfort in times of grief, revelation and strengthening. But here are some of the comments that I find particularly striking. The first is, I am a praise and worshipper. I cannot sing this song without breaking down and crying. He is incredible. Another one reads, This song saved me many times in so many ways. Another one reads, I, 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 I like this one. Not a religious person, but this popped into my recommended. Tried reading along with the lyrics, but couldn't see the last half because of the tears that filled my eyes. Incredible. Who's getting called? Final, uh, I was sleeping. Another one reads, I was sleeping and I heard this song in my dream. The young lady singing the song approached me and I started crying. When I got up, I looked around and there was no music playing. I just came here, not knowing the name, just the title, and I found this exact song as it played. I started crying uncontrollably. I do love Jesus with all my heart and soul, and I believe I'm being called. Please keep me in prayer. But here's the thing. Despite her manifold awesomeness, and I am a big fan, I highly doubt that Brooke Liggettwood could have produced this video all by herself. Her talent was to hear the song in the heavenlies and to co-write and perform the song here on earth. But consider this video. There are thousands of people worshipping where it was recorded. There had to have been a team of people on car parking duty that night <laughs> to facilitate their safe entrance into the building. The tech team have been busy with lights and sound and lyrics, editing and uploading this video onto the YouTube platform and all of the others where you can find it. All of the servants of Christ involved in this project, seen or not, have used what they have been given. They are all a part of the advancement that has taken place in God's kingdom globally because of this song. What's more, God saw this video and song of worship decades before any human did. And he was calling on his servants to give 
what he had given them to be part of this, even though they could not yet see this video or any of Brooke's other worship songs. Brooke began writing songs when she was 12, but up until then, she had only learnt to play the piano. She didn't have a guitar. But she taught herself to play the guitar when a family's friend's father lent her his one. It had nylon strings. Now, I don't know anything about musical instruments, but that doesn't sound good. And because she didn't know how to tune it, she used to take the guitar back to this guy on the weekends, and he would tune it for her. When she was 16, Brooke became friends with a group of girls, one of whom was called Leah. And Leah was a singer-songwriter as well. And Leah, at the time, was saving to buy herself a Martin guitar. Now, in my research of preparing this story, I did like a little bit of research into Martin guitars. And as a complete non-muso, a Martin guitar is like, I understand the thing that you have. If you're a professional musician or you want to be a professional musician, it's like the thing to have. The these things <laughs> sell for at least three and a half thousand USD each. So they are an investment. And so Leah was saving to buy herself one of these. But then God asked her to buy it, but to give it to Brooke. Wrote a request. And you know what? She did it. She gave Brooke this guitar that she had saved for. And it was the first guitar that Brooke ever owned. This was the guitar that Brooke wrote her first album on. And while it is not the guitar that features in this video of what a beautiful name it is, it is a beautiful example of a sacrificial gift decades ago that was an investment into God's kingdom and the future. And I have no idea where Leah is physically now, but I hope you can join me in admiring the story of a servant who knew that her possessions, even if she had saved for them, were not hers. And, oh, there you go, we're on tune. Um, and she was sacrificially obedient in surrendering what she had, even though at the time she could not see this or its impacts for God's church tangibly. Leah sowed a seed into 16-year-old Brooke's life and has played a part in God's kingdom advancement globally as a result. Would you like another story? Because I can leap now. Listen out for the different people and talents that we use throughout this story of kingdom building. This story takes us back decades and across the seas to America. Paul and his friend Clint became inseparable friends in the eighth grade. Both boys were skaters who grew up in San Luis, California, in the skate culture of the late 70s and early 80s. And they were fellow teammates on the Central Coast Surfboard Skate Team, where they both emerged as like top freescaling skating competitors. Skating, drugs, alcohol, and stealing wood to build skateboard ramps were common activities for the duo. But at the age of 17, they both underwent a radical lifestyle change when they individually came to know Jesus through the bold witness of obedient Christians. 
1987, the 23-year-olds were sponsored amateur freestyle skaters attending a Bible college in Portland, Oregon, and informally skateboarding with local neighborhood skaters. One night, while studying, Paul met some skaters on campus who had wandered away from a youth night that was happening in the gym at the nearby Central Bible Church. Returning the skaters to the gym, Paul was encouraged by the Central Bible Youth intern at the time, who clearly saw something in Paul, and encouraged him to start coming weekly to minister to the skaters who weren't fitting in. Determined to follow the path Jesus had for them, Paul and Clint soon joined joined forces with the youth pastor at the time, and they founded Skate Church in the central church parking lot. What is Skate Church, I hear you all asking? Well, seeing the passion for skating that existed in the young people of Portland, Paul Clint and the youth pastor decided to fill a niche. They put ramps and rails in the church parking lot and invited different age groups throughout the week to come and to develop their skating skills on these facilities. Leaders with skating experience would be on hand to provide advice and help the young people. But very importantly, halfway through the skating time, all of the youth who had come to skate had to stop and listen to a 30-minute presentation by one of the leaders on the gospel. In 1996, a skate church warehouse was built thanks to a very generous donation from a church member, and the lure of indoor quality skate facilities and skate coaching proved a very attractive proposition for young people in Portland. And skate church became a really big part of the skateboarding scene in the city. Over the last 35 years, since it first began in a church car park, Skate Church is responsible for over 12,000 skaters in the greater Portland area hearing the gospel. And approximately 1,300 of them have claimed Christ as their Saviour and Lord. But our story of kingdom advancement does not end there, because one of the 1,300 people who gave their life to Christ as a result of Skate Church was a guy called Tim. And Tim started going to skate church in 1995 when he was 16 years old. At the time, he smoked a lot of weed, tagged and partied on the weekend. And he had absolutely no interest in Jesus. But essentially, like so many, went to skate church to skate. During the gospel sessions, Tim would sit at the back and zone out. But as the years went on, he became increasingly interested and the gospel became really attractive to him. When he was 19, Tim was in a low point in his life, and one of the skate church leaders took him out to Wendy's and challenged him to let Jesus into his life, which Tim did. Now a Christian, Tim was later invited to be one of the leaders at skate church, giving the 30-minute gospel talks. And this was one of the things that prompted him to begin Bible study at university. When he was beginning his Bible studies, Tim became friends with a guy called John, who was also doing a bit of Bible study. And in the years to come, Tim fell absolutely in love with the Bible, studied Hebrew, did a PhD, and his strong communication talent um, led him to becoming a teaching pastor. In the years that followed his study, John 
who had met at uni, brewed a passion for visual storytelling and creating assets like videos that helped explain things. John spent time in ministry, but also spent time building two digital communications companies that worked with clients like Google. In the years, uh, in 2014, Tim and John brought their respective talents of Bible teaching and creative video together. They were tossing around ideas on how to help people through scripture while avoiding the common pitfalls and misunderstandings. They asked themselves how they could present complex biblical themes in a way that was real and unapologetic, but also approachable. Together they worked on two videos and they uploaded them online for free in 2014 and the Bible Project was born. For those of you who do not yet know, the Bible Project is a non-for-profit, crowdfunded organization that creates free content, which helps people to read and understand the Bible. They produce podcasts and reading plans and classroom sessions, and there's an app, and there's Bible studies, and very importantly, there are explainer videos, all of which can be accessed online for free with anybody with internet. There's a photo of Tim on the right and John on the left. A full creative and video team now help create the content, and marketers spread it far and wide. Amazingly, and a fundraiser would truly realize how amazing this is, they have over 45,000 people around the world giving to the Bible Project to make it happen in 2021, so that the team could continue to create this content for everybody, everywhere, for free, for anybody who wanted to read and understand their Bible more. Since those first two videos in 2014, 35 million people from across 200 countries have clicked into a Bible Project resource. The videos on YouTube have collectively been clicked into over 100 million times as people fall more and more in love with access to content that helps explain this book of life. Their videos have been translated into 48 languages, and every year the number of people using the content grows and grows. In fact, they estimate that 200 million people across the world have benefited from the Bible Project through its use in churches and connect groups and its equipping of leaders. In fact, you all help make up that 200 million because their content has helped me with a number of my sermons over the years. And I know that a number of you draw on their resources as well who has heard of it or used it. There we go. Here is my point. The bold Christian who first witnessed to Paul Anderson, that young boy back in the 1980s, who was skating and drinking and loving it, didn't know that Paul would go on to build a church that would witness to thousands of youth. But they sowed a seed into God's future by doing what they could and witnessing. The donor who provided the funds to build the first skate church warehouse didn't know that a young guy called Tim would one day stand at the back and hear the gospel, which he would then literally teach to millions. But that donor sowed a seed into God's future by doing what they could, which was to give financially. Tim and John likely had no idea that their combined talents of teaching and video would result in a generation of Christians globally grounding themselves in Scripture more and more. But God did. As we know, 
And we know that even though I haven't mentioned them specifically, of course, there would have been people cleaning the toilets at the Skate Church warehouse, people praying, people serving on the leadership boards, people writing the textbooks that Tim would one day read and study, people donating so that kids, kids could go to Skate Church for free so that it would be accessible for all. Every person in the, in the story that spans decades was obedient in giving what they had and has been a part of this incredible kingdom advancement that they have been entrusted with. They have all sown into something that will last into God's future. God sees across the decades and the generations. He gave each one of the people I mentioned gifts and talents, and he gave them opportunities to be used. And he sees some of his servants sowing seeds and other servants watering them. And while the servants working in that field may never see the full kingdom harvest while here on earth, God does. We sometimes just infuriatingly can't see what God is up to or how he will use what we have. But what we do know from our parable and from our two stories today is that God has entrusted us to build and to advance his kingdom here on earth and that he has given each of us, the gifts and the talents to do so. It is simply up to us to decide how we will each use what we have and whom we will serve with what we have. Um, The eldership felt, um, when we brought this focus area in through the vision, um, I just wanted to say publicly that it is absolutely not because we think that some people aren't doing enough or to create a sense of guilt or to create a sense of, yeah, you're not doing enough. That is not the eldership's heart for bringing this in. And if you have been thinking that, then I, I stand against it. That is not the heart of the eldership. The heart of the eldership is that we feel we have been in a season of preparedness and that's absolutely where God would have us focus in the years previous. But we have a heart and we feel a sense that we want SABC both as a body and as us individuals to actually move into seasons where we are part part of stories to come. Like Seb and and Tara shared this morning, we want um, the kids out there to be having defining and, and powerful encounters with Christ that change generations to come, not just their lives, but the generations to come. We want us as individuals and us as a body to be in the stories that define and advance God's kingdom for the future. And so I want to encourage those of you here today who, you know, so many of you have been faithfully serving in ministries for years and years and years. And I want to encourage you this morning that even if you don't always see the tangible results, it's actually okay. You don't need to all the time. God does. God does. God does. And for those of you who um, may be stirred over the next couple of weeks as we hear from different ministry leaders, we do have needs. We do. You're hearing the dreams and the visions of people who are leading ministries and who are communicating with you what their vision and their hearts are. 
and for the help they have. And our prayer is, is that um, as you hear from each of the leaders over the weeks previous and then the ones to come, that if you are in a season where God is calling you and stirring you to move into something else and to use your gifts and talents in a different way, that you will do so if the band want to come up. But it's for kingdom advancement. It's for souls. It's for lives. It's for transformation. That is what we are pursuing. And I just want to finish on this prayer from St. Ignatius today. While I don't necessarily agree with all of his theology, uh, this prayer is one that I am challenged to read and pray myself. And I invite you to join me in reflecting on it in the weeks ahead. In fact, I heard it for the first time while listening to a Bible Project podcast. Tim shared that he had begun reading it to himself every day. And I was struck by that. And I feel it sums up what I have been trying to say today. (laughs) And it reads, Take, Lord, receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my whole will, all that I have and all that I possess. You gave it all to me, Lord, and I give it all back to you. Do with it as you will according to your good pleasure. Give me your love and grace, for with this I have all that I need. Cool. Uh, I'll take it.